Welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Porter, and I'm joined this week by Mark McKinnon of Wreck and Rune fame. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? The the title's stuck forever, I think. That's it, yeah. I'm not getting rid of it. Yeah. So, this week, we're going to be talking about annoying gaming habits. Yes. And we all know there's plenty out there. Yeah. We don't have any of them, of, of course. Of course not, no. Don't be um, rude. There, there are several we could probably think of between us that do annoy <laughs> us, but we, um, we're we just a different class of player. Yeah, I'd just like to think maybe it's a gentleman's sport. Yeah, and we are gentlemen, so we, we definitely don't do anything that rubs people up the wrong oh, no, way. Definitely no. not, no. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that a bit later, but um, first of all, uh, you you've not long come back from the the bloody fields of Kickstarter. Yep, it was a, a battle which unfortunately I lost. Yeah. Um, did take out quite a few. I left some warriors in my wake, uh-huh. lying dead on the battlefield. But unfortunately, yep, yeah. I lived to fight another day. But uh-huh. this was not my my crowning achievement. Yeah. So you you, but you weren't far off. You weren't far off your goal. No. So I finished. Um, twelve thousand out of fifteen. Yeah. So it was about eighty eighty percent yeah. it was. So yeah. I was quite happy still with the figure. Yeah, a, a valiant effort. Yeah. Well you still think it's twelve thousand pound that complete strangers have offered to give me to, to make something. <laughs> for, for for your idea. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's that's how you have to look at it. You know, I may not have funded this time but it's still an achievement in itself. Yeah, so what? So what's the what's the plan? What's the next step? Hit it again. Hit it harder. Yeah. Uh, so potentially reducing the goal. Uh, I think you know of reducing the cost. Um, more advertising. Uh, as you've probably seen on the page, I've I've also got some more commission more artwork. Yeah. As well, so I wanted to change that to make it look a bit nicer. Um, and I'm thinking about additional things that I can add into the campaign um, for you know additional um, pledge levels and also um, just things that people might be interested in adding on to to the experience so So Wreck and Ruin, bigger, badder slightly kinder to your wallet yes but not to the environment (laughs) (laughs) still still gas guzzling but yeah yeah (laughs) I'll look forward to it, but um, so we we were talking a little bit about uh, Kickstarters and uh, a recent trend that that you'd noticed. Yeah, so recently I've noticed that there's been a, a kind of there's more posts showing up on f- Facebook. I've noticed mainly that um, campaigns aren't doing as, as well as the creators thought, so mm-hmm. they've just pulled the plug on them. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I guess it's part and due as we were saying earlier to the fact that. I mean, I, I thinking back to when I, I first happened upon Kickstarter in about two thousand and twelve, two thousand and thirteen, I think. Yeah. There's just a plethora of tabletop games compared to back then. Definitely. So it, it, it's a far more competitive environment than it's ever been. And I don't think that looks set to let up. But what? So what? What is it you think specifically that's 
that's causing people to just pull the plug on these projects? So I'm not sure exactly what it is now. Everyone wants they want their campaign to fund quickly, yeah, in order to get um, enough momentum, basically to carry them way past their initial targets. So that that's the ultimate aim. But really, Kickstarter should be about funding, and whether whether you fund by a hundred percent, whether you fund by five hundred percent, you should still be happy enough with the hundred percent mm-hmm. now. I've not looked into enough of these campaigns to know if it's just that they weren't reaching funding yeah. or some of them just weren't getting the momentum that they needed, which is a different issue, really. Um, but, yeah, I don't. I hope it's not a thing that we're going to see a lot of, yeah. a lot more of. So w- one of the ones that we spoke about, I'm not sure if they've pulled the plug on it exactly, but um, I, I think it's Dark Hand Games they made Beneath. Yeah, so they so they 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 did a huge advertising push in in the run up to that. Yeah, um, I remember seeing a video for it run on the run up, and you'd think it was a computer game that was coming out. It had four little dwarf miners. It was really each other a up. really impressive uh, advertising campaign, actually, because like you said, they um, they they'd gone above and beyond for yeah. advertising a, an analogue game they actually had um, digital animation yeah exactly it was, it was like it was like watching an intro to a game yeah and uh, yeah so they, they they put in the work oh yeah uh, so I can't see any fault with what they've done to get it to where they are but I don't know I don't know what it is that's that's causing this you know causing them to do it I don't know if it's maybe Backers are more discerning now. Maybe they're a bit more discriminating in their tastes. Or I yeah. think I think price is a huge issue. Uh, we we spoke about it recently. Um, Craig Ross and myself on the podcast, the um, price creep in board games. Yeah, and a lot of it is definitely coming from Kickstarter because the 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 the, the Kickstarter audience just simply demands huge volumes of stuff. Yeah. These Kickstarter games they're very component heavy. A lot of the time they've got huge amounts of sometimes massive, highly detailed yeah. measures. I mean, uh, you 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 backed Rising Sun, right? That's yes. a humongous game yeah, with absolutely. some stunning miniatures in it, it has to be said. And I think from all accounts actually what one of the common complaints with the cool mini or not games is that all plastic and no substance. Yeah, but Rising Sun's been getting really good reviews. But I, I mean, I say all that to say that um, obviously, off the back of the success of like uh, Steamforge Games and and Cool Many or Cool Cool Many or Not and and Mantic and and those sorts of companies, uh, people in order to cater to the Kickstarter audience, they're making their games bigger. They're making them uh, fluffier. They've got more components. They- think that's what backers want and they're 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 trying to sell these very expensive games and sometimes as as a a kickstarter consumer you're having to choose which 80 pound game it is you want to back this month and 80 80 pound on kickstarter i would say is still quite reasonable i think it was (laughs) well you start talking about add-ons and all that is it the confrontation one that's just started now and I think 
the base pledge for that is two hundred and thirty pound. The yeah. And yeah, it does come with two hundred and ten miniatures or something like that, but do you do you need all that? Yeah. The opposite end of the spectrum is there. There's a solo game on Kickstarter at the moment called Unbroken. Un- Unbroken. Yeah, and it's it's at like two thousand seven hundred percent funded, because a copy of the game is sixteen pounds. Yeah, and also I think people underestimate the solo market. Yeah, I don't think people realise just how many people actually enjoy playing games like that, and not a lot of ex- games and. Ha- put part of that in as the core experience. I mean there, there's a whole uh, blog dedicated to uh, both sides of my table uh, which I think a lot a lot of our listeners are maybe familiar with um, and, and he he produces content where it, he has, his focus is more or less solely upon solo gaming. Yeah. So it's as you say there is a demand for it. I think Kickstarter creators are maybe starting to tap into that now, mm-hmm. um, but perhaps didn't realise that it was such a a gold mine yeah. that they could get into. So going going back to the these um, projects that people are pulling the plug on when they don't look as though they're going to fund, because this is the thing is like sometimes they're maybe only about a weekend, and I guess they were maybe expecting with the amount of uh, effort effort and they've put into advertising and promotion um, I, I think Beneath's a really good example that we can use in this yeah. because it's it's not even close to, to funding I, I, th- I think it I think it's maybe uh, like 25% just below that right. if that I think I think it might be lower than that hold on right okay so 8% Beneath's 8% funded with 19 days to go yeah so something's going wrong there, but that's part of the game as well with Kickstarter. So it's setting realistic expectations. So it needs to be a goal that backers feel is achievable, that can be surpassed to get to get more content. But you also can't set it too low because they're not stupid and they'll say you can't make that game for a thousand pound. So. You have to say it's something that's achievable, but also the backers feel is realistic. Yeah. So how much is the actual pledge so for the, the event? So to um, a, pl- a pledge for Beneath uh, is £79 basic with shipping charged after the campaign, which is standard, but it does mean that all in all, you're probably looking at £100-plus to, to get a copy of Beneath. So I, I think certainly... Part of what's contributing to this this slump in the Kickstarter market, as it were, this uh, or at least what pattern? Yeah, I, I I think the 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 rising costs of Kickstarter board games is a is a huge deterrent for people. Yeah. So there's there's certain rules that you need to follow when you're pricing. Um, a game so first of all it needs to be that you can make it first of all within yeah. the actual the funds that you've allocated for it which sounds stupid but yeah it needs to be done um, it needs to cover all the money basically 
to get the game into the countries, so import tax, all that kind of stuff. Um, you shouldn't ever really build profit into a campaign. A campaign's not about you making money. It's about you making the game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you should make... The, the cost of the pledge should be enough to, to cover what you need. Yeah. You can also... There is also a part of that is to do with where it sits in the market, what games, you know, the same same amount of components or whatever would go for. You can... There can be an element of that, but ultimately, if your game's not worth the price that you've put on it, then something's going wrong. Either you've you can't do it within the scale mm-hmm. of manufacture that you've got, um, or else you're just being unrealistic and or greedy. It's quite interesting. You mentioned worth there. Because one of the other things that you said to me before we started recording was that um, there there was a discussion in one of the Kickstarter groups you were in yes. that, that mentioned that is there a perception amongst backers that um, a, a game that, that's just scraped its funding goal is, is somehow worthless? So, unfortunately, there's a bit of a, a misconception with Kickstarter in that a game that doesn't fund well or quick mm-hmm. the backers believe that, or not backers but the Kickstarter audience in general directly links that to how good the game is Yeah. so if a game hasn't funded straight away or quick enough there's something wrong with that game. Is we, it belief? We, we talk about voting with her wallets, don't we? So I, I guess in some ways, maybe um, Kickstarter's a bit of an indicator of that. Yeah, so understand, I, I was heavily involved in Kickstarter before I even thought of creating. Um, so I got super backer within six months of signing up to Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, so you know I'm in the same boat as everyone else I want to get as much as I can for my money um, you're, you're working up towards writing a, an article on Reddit about your Kickstarter addiction like that guy <laughs> but I've never backed I've never cancelled a pledge mm-hmm. I've ever made because when I back a project it's because I decide that I am accepting that if that game funds that I'm happy with the core product and anything else I get is a bonus but you need to be happy when you back that that if that's all you're getting yeah. you think it's worth that money uh, it's quite it's quite admirable that, that that's your attitude to it. I mean I've I've cancelled a number of pledges um, over the years mostly because I didn't have as much money as I thought I did <laughs> at yeah, the well, start of the month that's fair enough that's and then, different and then when that goal approaches uh, you know okay yeah right. that, that's, circumstances are always going to come in and affect that but for a backer to cancel out because you aren't going to reach a specific stretch goal yeah when they've already got 20 stretch goals do people seriously do that people, like if, if you don't get that one stretch goal they wanted uh, I'm gone so like with my game uh, when, I, when I ran the campaign the first time round people were saying that they weren't going to back it until I'd unlocked certain 
well, all the sculpts for what they wanted. Now, right. I could have, I could have set up the campaign to have all that included as the main game, but it would have effectively almost doubled my funding goal, and that's that's another issue with Kickstarter in that. So it all comes back to this this thing of that the, there are definitely a, there definitely is a huge group of people out there observing the Kickstarter market and just do not want to commit until they have the security of a big herd of people having already invested. Yes, so there's a misconception that with with the game not having enough backers behind it to push it way beyond goals that there's something wrong with it and therefore um, it's not worth their money. Yeah. So a game, there's every possibility of a game funding within the first within the first couple of hours but there's also games that just fund and no mm. more at the end of the campaign which is fine Kickstarter's about creating that it doesn't matter about the stretch goals well Kickstarter in its purest form is is for that purpose um, but unfortunately it feels like it's kind of detracted a bit from that and yeah. probably the the bigger companies that perhaps don't need to use it have a bit of accountability for that mm-hmm. because if they're offering all this stuff and they're funding you know we funded within eight minutes well they're, cre- they're creating a, a level of expectation within yes. the consumers there then and it's it, it is these big companies that are dictating the kickstarter market it, it's them that, that have created this trend towards very expensive component heavy yeah. games so they've contributed towards smashing through stretch goals like nobody's business high quality um which is good it's good for the market um but it also means that the the little guy has also got to pick up the slack as yeah. well so no longer can you go in with just an idea it has to be at a near final stage yeah so, no. If you go into Kickstarter saying you need money for the artwork, or mm-hmm. I, I need money to to play test this, dead in the water. Yeah. You're not going to get anywhere with that. I mean, to to a certain extent, Kickstarter's always been like that. But I hear what you're saying. Um, I, I I think that, um, as we've just said, I I think um people's expectations of Kickstarter projects are higher than they've ever been. Oh yeah, definitely. But I, I do I do think Kickstarter it, it's almost a bit of a misnomer Kickstarter because it's not it's not like you're going in to pitch your idea. It's here's my product, I need the money to get it distributed or on shelves. Yeah. So it's strange it's not quite Dragon's Den, it's not quite a shop. Yeah. It's somewhere somewhere in between, but because it's maybe not as clearly defined, yeah. That's maybe why it's such a grey area in in yeah, general. I think so. Well, um, in in other news, uh, I picked up the the new warbands for Shadespire, and you had your first foray into Shadespire yeah, tonight. I tried it today. Yeah. So. so I'm 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 on this crusade to try and convert people <laughs> to playing Shadespire because I just think there's not enough people playing Shadespire. And nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and it's a phenomenal game. So, I mean, how how did you find it? Yeah, so I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoy miniatures. Yeah. I enjoy cards. The fact that 
it has that kind of hidden information um, is good um, on that scale is quite unusual I think for a game like a kind of typical skirmish game you you maybe have some objectives yeah. or something like that but there is a lot more information available whereas that was quite you know with the deck and even with the fact that although you've created the deck you your opponent doesn't necessarily know what's in it and definitely doesn't know what you've got in your hand Yeah. so all that stuff just makes it so much more interesting and it's quite exciting intense yeah. yeah because you, you just like you say you just don't know what yeah and you, you it, where the game starts off quite slow well like that last turn we had it was just like ploy card after yeah, ploy well, card that's what i was going to say the, the first the first couple of turn the first couple of actions when you said right well, now you can play a card and i was like i don't i don't see the value in playing a card and then we yeah. had that what just one action yeah. where we both played two cards each and just like set ourselves up for like I was going for a massive attack while you had like a a lightning defence kind of combo going on. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so it, it was cool to have that but I think where the game's going to shine is the fact that two players can have the same warband and have a different deck and oh, yeah, play I completely mean, differently. Uh, when Josh and myself went to Common Ground, like way way back in February, I think it was, it was February or March, um, Josh has been running Sepulchral Guard, which is the, the undead faction. Yeah. And there was a lad there uh, at the event we went to who was running Sepulchral Guard, and his deck was completely different from Josh's, and he, he played them in a completely different yeah. way. Because like, you'll find a game like Magic, where once certain combos are worked out they'll appear in everybody's deck yeah and you'll find that the majority of you know you'll be facing the same deck against different people um all the time whereas with that there you know you can play it so many different ways that you can do all these different combinations and it'll work i think well it's worth saying as well that magic is a very two-dimensional game Whereas it's, it is just the, the cards. it's the fact that you you've got the this dynamic three um, D tabletop combat situation going yes. on with cards influencing what happens. So it means that the, there's room for a lot more variation within that. Yeah. Even though Magic's got way more cards. Oh yeah, yeah. It it does mean, as you say, that especially when you introduce uh, um, competition rules. That restrict the use of certain cards. Yeah. Um. What it's it's one of the major arguments against competition rules is that they essentially force people to take the same build if they want to be competitive. Yeah. Because they know what works and. Yeah. If you're going to play a game, then. What What's the point in making a card that you can't use? Yeah. Uh, exactly. That just. It, it's crazy. Yeah. But you know, if if they know it's OP, if we know it's OP, why is it even in there? Yeah, that I mean, we could, we could <laughs> that, that's a whole other thing. We could do a whole episode about uh, competition rules and composition. But um, the all important question, in my opinion, when you try a new game, would you play it again? Yes, I'd play it again. Yeah. I'd I'd be interested to see the different the different cars, even within. The, my own deck yeah never mind you know before even looking at other 
um, factions. Now, the issue I had, which you found out, was that to me, a minis game is about bashing you over the head repeatedly. (laughs) So the cards took a bit of adjustment. For me, I was more just charging in, attacking. I just wanted you dead. Didn't care what the cards said. Yeah. so that took a bit of adjusting to me just purely because that's how those games normally play out. Well, sp- I mean, I, I mentioned that I picked up the two new warbands. So they are Ma- Magor's Fiends. Yes. Which are, they're another corn warband, but these guys are the big roided out guys. Yeah. You know, covered Chaos in baroque warriors. armor. Yeah. Whereas the, the other guys were more marauders or blood reavers, as they're yeah. called in Age of Sigmar. They're your battle line plebs. Um, and then the other warbands, the Farstriders, I think, which uh, they're Stormcast, but these are the, the sort of Stormcast Rangers, if you were. Yeah. And they've all got um, bolt pistols, which is a ranged weapon. But I think I think my Gorse Fiends are going to be your jam, because they're they're very killy, and they they've got a lot of stuff that messes with movement and things like that, and they've got a flesh hound. You should have just started with that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Now, well, one of my favourite old forty k models was the corn juggernaut. Now, yeah. if you could get me one of them, yeah, on there, that I'd be sold. Well, I mean, he's he's not got a juggernaut, but I mean, my Gore might as well be riding one. <laughs> yeah, well, he's uh, he's he's definitely got the armour for it. I'm sure we can. We'll we'll do some kind of house ruling on yeah. it. We'll, we'll get some. Get our own rules made up for a juggernaut on there. Yeah, I mean, maybe you could like proxy a juggernaut as the flesh hound or something yeah. if you're determined to to have one on there. I liked the old the old juggernaut wound table. Basically, had it was dead. It got like stabbed through the brain, mm-hmm. but just didn't realise it was dead yet, and yeah. it still proceeded to run about attacking and killing people. Yeah, it's like they, they always talk about how th- there's a type of gorilla that um, you can shoot it in the head. But it still has time to like chase you down, kill you, and eat you. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's too like it's too angry to die. I guess it's like that uh, itchy and scratchy episode where he reads the paper and it says newsflash: you need a heart to live. And he'd been like walking about for twenty minutes without a heart, and then it wasn't until he realised that and it just kills over. <laughs> so I th- I think yeah I think we need to get you trying out the the fiends. Yeah, well I think especially for a game, it's a quite quite a cheap buy-in for, oh, for, that yeah, kind of, yeah. for that kind of system and even I think compared to a lot of other card games and living card games it, it, it's a it's a cheap buy-in because you take I mean I've started playing Arkham Horror it's about 30 quid for the core set and then uh, for one expansion the core expansion that's 25 and then Along with that expansion, you have six Mythos packs, and they're £13 each. Yeah. And there's, like, three cycles out already. Yeah. So if you're playing catch-up well, with that, for, that's for, hundreds. For that price, that's everything that's ever been made yeah. for for Shadespire. Yeah. So that's you. You bought everything. Yeah, you're up to you're up to date. Yeah. But it's, I mean, like you say, it's, it's great value for money. It's, like, because it's about £40 for a core set. And then about uh, fifteen, seventeen pounds for each of the expansions. Yeah, and there's unlike other games where sometimes feels like you have to get the expansions. Mm-hmm. With that, it's literally 
it's your choice yeah. whether you want to have. I mean, pe- people that are serious about it will want access to all the cards. Yeah, but you know, course, yeah. as you say, like you, you know, if you just want to play orcs, yeah, you just you just, just buy get the core set yeah. and the orcs. And that's it. You're ready to go. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I imagine we'll probably be playing that again in the future. I think so. Yeah, I bet this point did you hadn't painted them, but apart from that, shh, shh don't <laughs> talk about that. I've got so much stuff still to paint, but and oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, topic of the week: annoying gaming habits. Annoying gaming habits. So what? What's your pet peeve? Well, as a game designer, one of the things I have to do is do a lot of rules explanations so whether it's my own game or whether I'm showing up any game I kind of it's usually me within the group that becomes the rules explainer and um, there's nothing worse than when somebody's not paying attention and they're playing on their phone and which, then you come round I, I, feel, I feel like this is directed at me uh, no, like no, no 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 <laughs> it's directed at somebody Samuel but, uh, I will say I don't always do that. <laughs> I was doing Instagram stuff when Mark was starting to explain a game we were playing tonight, but no, that but, that that was another issue that we had there. That wasn't that yeah. wasn't attention. <laughs> 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 so yeah, like when somebody's not not paying attention, looking at their phone, um, it's bad when it comes round to their turn. That's a re- this is a really common thing seen role playing games like D and D, like if the other players aren't interacting with a non player character or the dungeon master, they're not interested. They'll just be on their phones or their iPads and all that. And like the first few times I I saw it, I thought this is really rude, but loads of them do it. Yeah, so it it is rude. Like as as a creator, one of the things I'm looking for is if I'm demoing a game, the last thing I want to see is somebody pulling out their phone because it means they're not engaged enough mm-hmm. in the game, so you know maybe I'm a bit more attuned to it mm-hmm. than other people. But I've played games, um, simple, quick-fired games, Camel Up, mm-hmm. and when it takes you ten minutes to take your turn, you're literally doing one action, <laughs> and you have to explain what all the actions are every time. Yeah, it's like right, there's something wrong here. Yeah. So yeah, there's nothing more annoying than that. Or when you've done something and then somebody just looks up from whatever they're doing and said, how did you just do that? And then you basically have to backtrack and explain your whole move to them because yeah. they weren't paying attention to it in the first place. You're like, well, I've got this. It allows me to move here. And then I've got this stat, which do, does this. So you end up explaining the rules like three and four times. So you explain the rules and you end up basically taking your turn twice. <laughs> Because you have just, to t- just to appease this yeah. one person, you have to walk them through everything. Meanwhile, everyone else is like that. <sighs> so, I anyone that knows me will know that there are a lot of things that irritate me, but I have to say, in gaming terms, the thing that irritates me the the most is a thing called flicky dice smashy model. Ah, uh. right. So you 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 know what I'm talking about. Like yeah, when playing against people that can't just roll the dice like a normal person yeah, and drop them in front of themselves, or no, it's more like see when they do that flourish, 
so that the dice flies up in the air and then skates right through a, a, a big group of intricately painted models. <laughs> it's like, you know, people spend dozens, sometimes hundreds of hours painting these things and then these twats rock up to the board and they start chucking yeah. dice around like a four-year-old. All blasé. Yeah, no, not okay. Every single convention I've done, um, probably within a kind of three, four hour cycle, you have to stop the game to pick dice up off the floor because there's always somebody that just can't contain the dice within this, what we say, six foot yeah. square area that you yeah. have. Somehow that's not enough to contain this this little 12 mil bit of plastic. Yeah. And it has to somehow be skated across. Yeah, like if you have a problem with that, get a dice tray. Yeah. It's like dice trays they're 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 like the tabletop gaming equivalent of a bib though, aren't they? It's like yeah. you plonk that down in front of the, someone. The bumper lanes that they, when you go bowling. Yeah, yeah. That's for you. <laughs> oh. So I mean you could literally if I'm rolling lots of dice, I cut my hands together, shake my hands, and then I just open them like like bomb doors, like a yeah. bomb trap door, and they fall out underneath me and that's it. Yeah. And they they land pretty much. Yeah, there, there you go. And you know, there are loads of games where you do have to roll loads of dice and that's that's the way to do it. Just give them a wee shake and then just Yeah. Uh, drop them. The no point of shake is just to randomise the result. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with speed or distance. Yeah. You're you you're not trying to destroy half the models on yeah, the table. It's not, a, it's not a dexterity game. No. So stop flicking yeah. dice. <laughs> not cool. So the other one that really annoys me is um see when you're playing card games and you get people that will like flick the cards like that. Like right. really quickly. Have you never seen people do this? I don't think so. So, like, magic players do it a lot. Like, when they're thinking about what they want to do, they'll just, like, flick through the cards. And then, like, when it's your turn, it, it's like it's some weird sort of attention thing. Like, you know, can you not sit still yeah. for two minutes <laughs> and let me do this? Yeah. And it's, yeah. So so it means that you're sitting there trying to concentrate and all you can hear is the... Of these cards getting flicked around. And it's infuriating. Yeah. Or what about people that just disrespect your stuff? Yeah. Like you, you bring people around to play the game and their game's sacrosanct, but your game like Yeah, like they, they take the cards and then go to do an Indian shuffle with yeah, them. Yeah. Riffle them and everything and Yeah. And you're just like, dude Yeah. You know, this cost me money. Yeah. You're like, excuse me, did I come to your house and jump on your couch? <laughs> Why are you disrespecting my property? Yes. So that that is another part of it. The, the disconnect between a game that doesn't belong to them and how they treat it. Yeah. Is not cool. Uh, that, that merits a smack, I think. It's like people that... Um, you know, you give them a paperback and then the first thing they do is bend the cover right round. Oh, just put a big crease right there's in a, it. There's a special place in the hell for those people. <laughs> I'm fairly certain of it. But um, we we mentioned that we were going to do this as a topic on the show uh, just before we come in. And um, Charlotte wanted me to mention the thing that, that Josh and myself do in games that drives her nuts. 
and that is what we do is we we get we explain to each other like what what could happen with it and try to predict the next few turns like to the point like sometimes like we'll give each other suggestions like why don't you try doing this instead and it drives charlotte nuts because she has this whole plan worked out in her head of how to win the game and we're just like sitting back unraveling it all by explaining to each other different options you yeah. could take in the game i mean it's good that you share that you can see stuff but i mean it sounds a bit like uh i can't remember if it was big bang feet it may have even been the simpsons where the two people sitting playing chess and they sat there and said checkmate in 43 moves another guy went checkmate in 41 said good game you know what I mean? They hadn't even, they hadn't even started yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bit like us when, when we play uh, games. Especially, you know, those big sort of resource management games. Like, I, th- I think it was Enchanters we did it on. Was it, you, you've played Enchanters, haven't you? No, I haven't, no. No. Well, it's a card game where you, you're, like, forging your own artefacts. Um, but it's one of these ones where you do need to think three steps ahead. Yeah, I'd be rubbish at it. So like, I, I was thinking of what to do, and then Josh was going, oh, why don't you do this and this and this? And I was like, oh, okay. And then Charlotte just erupted. Uh, like, why are you telling him that? Yeah. Because it totally unravelled her whole plan. But and then if it didn't affect her, would she still have the same reaction? Is it yeah. only because it affected her? Yeah. So who who really has the, the horrible gaming habit? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So maybe I, I'm in fear of my life now. This is, <laughs> this is going out there for public consumption. So yeah, but, I think there's there's plenty of bad habits out there now. Most of the tabletop memes that you see are table flipping. Yeah. Or that one where the guy Hulk smashes the table into, <laughs> into <Yeah>. nothing. <laughs> I mean, I, I've. I mean, all joking aside, like most of these things are like they're they're. They're mild irritations, you know. Yeah, um, analysis paralysis and things like that annoy you, but you laugh at them and you tell them to yeah. get a move on. And even like the flicky dice thing, like the you know, I, I was playing a a game, uh, in Games Workshop the other week, and we were all rolling off, and one of the guys did the flicky dice smashy model thing, and I said to him, "You better not do that during the game," and he was like, "No," it's, and that was it. It, 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 in the bud. It, it was a non-issue, so that there's you know like there's ways of doing it. And oh yeah, definitely. You know, and it, I think like you say, it's you know may, maybe just being respectful of other people's stuff. Oh know? yeah, definitely. If you if you want to Indian shuffle your cards, that's fine, but not everyone's okay with that. Yeah. But um, yeah, were you gonna say something? Just as long as they're shuffled. That's it. It yeah. doesn't matter. You don't need to Indian shuffle. No, it doesn't need to be fancy. No. Just just get the we're, job done. We're not magicians. No. Yeah. Is this your card? Yeah. You yeah. know, we, we actually had um, uh, Callum Indian shuffled uh, a deck when we were playing Pandemic and uh, completely messed up the game because it wasn't so much the Indian shuffle... It was, you know, in Pandemic, you're supposed to have the Epidemic cards evenly spaced yeah. throughout the deck. He, he, he didn't read the instructions for randomising the deck. So you just, just shuffled them in right just shuffled the them all in, so it meant like we got like three Epidemics in a row. It's like, that's us lost the game. Uh. And 
Josh was so angry. I, I've, not, <laughs> I've never seen Josh so annoyed at someone in a game because it was Pandemic Legacy, so it meant that all the effects were permanent. Yeah, oh, I, you can't come back from that one. No. Well, I miscalculated while playing Kingdom Death uh, the other night and accidentally created the wrong kind of deck for that, which resulted in a total party kill. So we ended a bit blasé with my four best characters uh, who are all now dead so Apostle is absolutely reeling from that yeah. boss now yeah so Apostle's on fire right now Apostle po- being the, the name of uh, Mark's Kingdom Death settlement and, yeah. and not the uh, not the, the area in no, Glasgow not where we go to play <laughs> yeah I think both Apostles are quite nightmarish though to be honest yeah well I'll, hopefully it's yeah, hopefully Adam Putz is not from Possible and that's like what he's kinda of designed the game around. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like a... some areas of Glasgow but <laughs> <laughs> some of the creatures you don't know. Yeah. And then there'd be like the Bucky Beast or something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> you could you could what 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 effect would Bucky have in the game? Well, we've got f- frenzy drink. So it, it, and I'm love at... juice. Oh, so it'd probably be no. both of them together. Yeah. Be like it, you you have completely randomized movement, and then you get like plus one to your attacks or something. So I would say yeah, probably. Well, is is Bucky Bucky equates to ninety eight percent of all alcohol fueled crime. So, is that is that a fact? It was a few years ago. I don't know if it's probably wow. up now. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Right. So let's say plus five strength. <laughs> uh. But then you gain a random disorder. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That sounds about right. Some insanity points. Oh yeah, all yeah. the insanity. Yeah, yeah. So if you've just had Bucky and Slenderman appears, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for in this week's show. Um, Mark, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having uh, me. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we'll hear from you again in the not so distant future. Yep. Um, And for all those listening, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. We are Unlucky Frog Gaming, and I am Ben. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Unlucky Frog Gaming. You can also show your support by giving us money through the Unlucky Frog Patreon. And be sure to check out our website, unluckyfrog.com, to find out more. Thank you.